0: The Lord is so good to us. He is so good to us. I just want to take a moment to talk about the goodness of the Lord. Amen. I want to tell you He's been good to me this week. I, it, would, it, it, it is not possible for me to let this opportunity go without telling you the Lord has been good to me. To to the Lord has been good to me. For, for me to come, when I came to the Lord, I was just glad that I wasn't on drugs anymore. When I came to the Lord, I was just glad that I was not living the life of, of, of sadness and hopelessness that I had been in for so long. And to see how he is using the testimony of God what He brought me out of, and how He rescued me, how He's using it in other people's lives. What an honor. Yes. The Lord has honored me this week. Hallelujah. Many of you know our, our book, Escaping Hell, that has just been released with Harrison House Publishers, is uh, launched this week, and we are giving God all of the glory every step of favor that it took for him to open the door and have the right conversation with the right people. And, and things that were domino effects towards the favor of God. Now you wouldn't have, I didn't even know it at the time that it would lead to where we are. And, and God says we're just getting started. It's just the beginning, Amen. But I want to give special thanks as well to a, an instrument of God's goodness that he has used. You know, um, a number of years ago, I invited Annette Capps to come on our television broadcast and discuss the, um, the book uh, that her father had written. And so she came and we did one and just really connected. And it was the first interview that she had done in a long time. It was her first really getting back on TV personally in a long time. And she said to me later how that it, it broke her out of the orbit or the rhythm of life that she had been in at that time. And God began to speak to her about taking Caps Ministries to another level. And um, it really ministered to her. I was just so glad to be there. I felt like Minnie Pearl. You know, I'm sitting here on the set with Annette Caps. Her father's book has changed my life. Their ministry has turned my life around. I wouldn't be where I am today if I had not learned how to call things that be not as though they were. If I had not learned how to 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 operate the Word of God in that way. But it ministered to her as well. And I had no idea at the time how it had ministered to her and so fast forward a few years and, you know, we have continued in, in, and developed a, a friendship and, and have become close. And she had the opportunity um, to, to bring up in conversation my book with... Um, The publisher at Harrison House, they were coming to talk to her about a book that she was doing, and she said, before we talk about that, and she spent about 30 minutes talking about our ministry, talking about my testimony, talking about uh, how the Lord is using us, and that's the favor of God. And of course, as well as that, she has been airing our broadcast on her television outlets, for the last two weeks and two weeks coming, this week and one other. So we've done four broadcasts. She's airing them all. And you, and her staff is answering phone calls and praying with people from all around the world. Ministering to people on a level that because of where we are, we would not have been able to even answer the phone calls. I mean, they, they said the phone calls filled up all of their call counselors, and went up to the people who normally don't take the calls. It spilled over into them, and they were, they were put on the spot to answer phone calls, and so that's the favor of God, and so I want you to join me today as we release a blessing upon Caps ministry because, because of her generosity and because of the generosity of that ministry, Annette Caps. Uh, her mother, Peggy, their generosity and their faithfulness in the things of God have changed our lives and, and ministered to this church, family, and this ministry. So would, I want to just really, really release our faith to bless CAPS Ministries. And Father, we come in the name that is above every name. We thank you, Lord, for the divine connection that you have given us as a church family with Caps Ministries. Father, for me personally, I'm so honored to have Sister Annette Caps as a big sister pouring into my life and and helping me, Father, to to know how to put things into to action at a greater capacity. Lord, what they have sown into this ministry is priceless. We are so grateful to you for the favor that you have demonstrated through Annette caps, through Peggy caps, through caps ministries and all of their staff to this church, to this ministry and to pastor and I personally. We lift them up to you and we ask you, Lord, to supernaturally supply beyond measure. I am asking for an abundant surplusage of of increase to come into their life, into their ministry. Father, give them favor with every television outlet and even more. Father, give them supernatural wisdom in every department, from, from the head all the way through the structure of that organization. Lord, protect and guard and keep and manifest your blessing upon CAPS ministries and cause them, Lord, to be established at even a greater stability and an even greater increase of supply. I thank you, Lord, for the light that has come to the world through Charles CAPS through Peggy Caps, through Annette Caps, into our lives. And we ask you, Lord, to take them even further in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Pre- prepared for this book launch. Uh, many of you have probably heard the testimony numerous times because I've talked about it on my television broadcast. Many of you have probably read the book, Walking in the Graveyard. Walking in the graveyard is in Escaping Hell. We did not alter it very much at all. We just kind of cleaned up some of the details. We didn't take away any of the structure of walking in the graveyard. But it's the first half. The second half of Escaping Hell are the five truths that God has used to establish me where I am today and um, and and to help me live the, the life of victory that I have. And so... Uh, I, I encourage you to, um, even if you've read Walking in the Graveyard, what, Escaping Hell, has, is Walking in the Graveyard, is only half of it. And so thank you for all of your encouragement and your support as we have launched this book. And I give God praise and glory and honor. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for your hand of favor that is taking this book into houses, saturating the United States of America with the truths in escaping hell. In Jesus' name, praise God. Let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. One of the things that we're giving ourselves to today, and we've been building up to it, is honor for God. Tonight we are going to be uh, giving a specific attention in our night of giving to the honor of God, Uh, I'm going to preface this morning with um, uh, looking at some attitudes that will um, hinder the honor in our lives for God so that we don't have to learn the hard way. We can learn by somebody else's mistakes, by reading the examples of how someone else responded, and then we can self-correct Ephesians chapter 4, beginning here in verse 27, the instruction is, neither give place to the devil. This is a a list of different instructions. It says, uh, put on the new man in verse 24. Verse 25 says, put away lying, uh, speak truth. Don't be, if, if, you, if you have anger, don't let it move you over into sin and don't let it stay. Don't let it be a constant. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. That means momentary. Get it under control. And, and so then this next instruction says, neither give place to the devil. And then it goes on with some more, more New Testament believer instructions for behavior. I want to zone in specifically on this neither give place to the devil. It is possible for a blood-washed child of God who loves God with all of their heart, it is possible for that person to act in a way that allows an entrance to the enemy. We don't have to. We can learn the ways of God and resist that. We can maintain our shield of faith and resist that. We know, for instance, that fear is one way that allows entrance of the enemy into our life. So we, we build ourselves up in faith so that we resist fear on every hand. Fear is not something we are required to do. We can resist it and never be afraid another day in our lives. Hallelujah. Well, there are some other other attitudes or responses that that could open the door for the enemy to have a place. And I want to look at this word place before I move away from this scripture. The word place means foothold. One of the translations, I think the Amplified might use the word foothold. Another translation uses the word opportunity. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. The original word in the Greek is the word topos. And from the word topos, we get the word topography. Now, the difference in a map, a flat linear map, and a map that shows topography is that a a a map that shows topography will show the um height of the mountains or the hills on that general region, in that map. So if you have ever been to a museum or somewhere and they showed a map of the Rocky Mountains, they, it, was, it was 3D. It was lifted up. You could see. It was showing the height. And so the word topos means don't let the devil have any high ground in your life. Anybody who's ever studied the battles in history, if they, if they get the high ground, they've got the advantage. And so we don't want them to have the high ground. I mean, there were, there were some battles in the Civil War, some battles even in, in, in the World War II, that when they got the high ground, even though they were outnumbered, even though they didn't have as much firepower, they didn't have as much manpower, they had the high ground. And so it says, don't give the devil the high ground in your life. Amen? We don't want him to have an opportunity, a place, a foothold. We don't want him to have the high ground. Matthew chapter 16, we see the um, conversation between Peter and Jesus. And Peter had received revelation. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 15, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter, Simon Peter, answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, You are blessed, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven, so... He has received revelation from God. You are the Christ. Jesus went on to to minister about the keys of the kingdom. And then he begins to tell them about how he will go to Jerusalem and suffer the, the beating, the cross, his death. Notice in verse 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So He's telling them, He's revealing to them what's going to happen He is giving them inside information, revelation knowledge that came from the Father, just like the revelation knowledge Peter had just participated in. But Peter, now he comes to him in verse 22. It says, then Peter took him. Can you see it? Can you picture this in your mind's eye? Can you picture Jesus explaining to his disciples. He's having the conversation. He is revealing what will take place so that they'll know, so that they're not caught off guard, so that they can be in on, on what's really happening. He's revealing it to them. And Peter, it, oh, the, the look of concern on his face, the look of, of disdain on his face, and he comes and he says, excuse me, everybody, I need to talk with the master. Master, master, come come here why I'm still I'm the one with the revelation here I just got revelation from the father he says the Bible says Peter began to rebuke Jesus did he just rebuke Jesus did he just correct Jesus and tell Jesus what you're saying is wrong what you're talking is doubt Don't don't say that, Master. Don't let that come out of your mouth. No, no, no. He rebuked him and said, Be it far from you, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Well, Jesus, He knew. He's talking about redemption. This is His purpose. This is the reason He came into the world. And you're telling me this will not be unto me? The center column uh, reference in my Bible says when he said, Be it far from you, Lord. The center column reference says, Pity yourself. Pity thyself. Think about yourself. No, no, no. This shall not be to you. Think about yourself. Pity yourself. And that concept is why we see Jesus Respond to Satan. Respond to Peter and call him Satan. He responded to him with more more of a strenuous response than he responded to many of the religious people of the order of the day. He whirled on him and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Why? That was the source of that idea. Think of yourself. Think about how that will make you feel. Think about how that would make you look. Think about what that would do to your ministry. Think of yourself. Jesus, I'm so glad he didn't think of himself. He was thinking about you and me. (laughs) Because he was thinking about, I've got to go to the cross. He was thinking about the Father. He was thinking about you and I being brought into the kingdom. He was thinking about our relationship with God, our freedom from, from uh, the sin, slavery that we were in bondage to. He was thinking about us being set free from the spiritual death that held us in a place where we were limited in our interaction with God. He had no time to think about himself. And he dealt with that concept as if it was from hell itself because it is an attack of the enemy. Pity yourself. This is one of the most dangerous attacks because it doesn't look sinful on the outside. It's not something that that, that people, uh, people just think, well, I've got I've to watch out for me. I've got to pr- preserve myself. And it will cross the line of 1 Corinthians 13 if it goes unchecked. 1 Corinthians 13 draws the lines of love for us. It sketches for us our behavior within the, the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And, and love is not self-seeking. Can we look at what 1 Corinthians 13 describes? I want to go specifically to verse 5, I think, because I want to live within this line. I want this structure to be the structure of my life. I don't want to allow a foothold, an opportunity, an entrance for the enemy to come in and to destroy or to sabotage something that God's been working years to set me up for. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Love does not behave. It says, Charity in King James. We know it's the word that represents the love of God. It does not behave itself unseemly. It does not seek its own. It is not easily provoked. And it thinks no evil. Can I see the amplified of verse five? The amplified Bible of verse five. Hallelujah. Love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Well, what is a a person who has conceit is thinking about themselves. They think they're all they're all that and a bag of chips. And so love is not conceited, it's not arrogant, it's not inflated with pride. You can put your name there. Michelle is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It says love is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, God's love in us, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights. That would solve half the marriage issues in the world if they would just let 1 Corinthians 13, 5 govern them. Love does not insist on its own rights. It may have rights. It may be the right thing, but I don't have to insist on it. I don't have to demand it. You're going to treat me right. Don't, you're not going to talk to me that way. <laughs> Love doesn't snap that. That doesn't snap that attitude, right? Love does not insist on its own rights. Did, did Jesus have the right to say? Did Jesus have the right to say, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want that whip to be taken across my back until it pulls the flesh off my back. I don't want to pour out my blood for people who are spitting on me. Did he have the right to say that? Well, he would have had if if he did not have the will of choice, the right of choice, then then what happened was not a sacrifice. It was a murder. But it wasn't a murder. God did not murder Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his rights. He willingly laid down his preferences. He, He laid down what would have suited him, what would have made him feel better, what would have been, would have preserved him. He laid that down to preserve us. And without him laying it down, without him willingly, Setting aside those self-preservation thoughts and ideas without him doing that, none of us would be where we are today. But because he did, because he operated in love, the enemy had no place in him. He said, Satan has come and he's looked, but he's found no place in me. He's found no foothold. He's found no high ground in me. He has no opportunity in me. Why? Because Jesus operated in this mindset. It does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Oh, that's a whole nother ball game right there. You mean I can't, I can't get my way or my rights? I can't insist on my way, my way or the highway? You know, whether the toilet paper is up or going down, it's not that big of a deal. Just don't fight it. Just don't fight it. We insisting on our own rights and insisting on our own way. Listen, it is not to be said of a faith builder's woman. It is not to be said of a faith builder's woman. Happy wife, happy life. No, not in our houses. We don't, we don't set the gauge for my way or everybody's miserable. Yeah. Not, not in a, a Proverbs 31 woman. Not in, not in a woman who's governed by 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not, it's not happy wife, happy life. It's We're all saved and following God, happy life. <laughs> we're all governed by the same law of love. Amen. Amen. So we don't seek on our seek our own rights or our own way. It is not self-seeking love. God's love in us is not self-seeking. That's what Peter was telling Jesus, though. Think about yourself. Pity yourself. What about you? What's that going to do for you? What's that going to do for your ministry? What's that going to do for you? Love is not self-seeking. It is not touchy, fretful, resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong because it's not thinking about me. I'm not thinking about me. You know what? That's okay. It, it don't mean nothing. That, that's, what, 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 that's what Pastor and I adopted years ago. It don't mean nothing. It's all good. That's a, nope, I'm not going to let that bother me. That's not going to change anything in the way that I love them. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about the Lord. Amen. So this idea that Peter says in Matthew 16 is an attitude that gives entrance for the enemy. I want to read a few different translations where, um, of, of what Peter said when um, the center column reference says, pity yourself. The Young's Living translation, it's a good translation. It says, this shall not be to you be kind to yourself. The New English says, get behind me, Satan. This is, what, this is when Jesus responded to him, you are a stumbling block to me. A stumbling block. So that attitude of think about yourself was a stumbling block. God's word, he said, you are tempting me to sin. So whenever you have the feeling of feeling sorry for yourself, Identify where this is coming from. When, when you are crying because of the way they made you feel or the way that you were embarrassed in the situation, when you are sulking... I'm, I'm not looking at anybody, y'all. I'm just not looking at anybody. I'm looking right above your heads. When you're sulking about something because it didn't go your way and somebody else got the promotion, or, or you're sulking because the family chose to have the reunion at somebody else's house, and you're sulking because... Somebody else brought your recipe for the pumpkin pie and, and, and you're thinking about you and how it made you feel. And you, you didn't have everybody saying, that's the best pumpkin pie I ever had. No, somebody else got all those compliments. Whenever those feelings of self-pity are there, you've got to recognize that is not coming from God. That is not, that is not authored by God. Where is it coming from? The enemy. It's a, he said it's a stumbling block. If it was a stumbling block to Jesus, self-pity is a stumbling block to me and you. If self-pity is, is a temptation to sin for Jesus, self-pity is a temptation to sin for me and you. The Bible in basic English, he, Jesus said, you are a danger to me. A danger. The, the thoughts of self-pity are Dangerous. They're dangerous. So we have an example I want to show you of the danger in self-pity. First Kings 21. We're looking at attitudes that honor the Lord and to do so we're going to have to identify those that don't. So self-pity is is an attitude that does not honor the Lord. Jesus was so vehement against it that he, he called it a thought from Satan, and He called it a stumbling block, a danger, and a temptation to sin. 1 Kings 21, we have a story about a man who owned a vineyard. His name was Naboth. And his vineyard was next to King Ahab's vineyard. And King Ahab, you know, he had the finest in the land. He had the finest chariots in the land. He had the finest horses in the land. He had, he had the, the best property in all of the land. And yet he goes out for a walk one day and he sees Naboth's vineyard and he decides that he wants it for himself. And so the first thing he did, it seemed like he was willing, you know, to, to pay for it. He wasn't just going to take it from him originally. He goes and he says in verse 2 of chapter 21, Ahab spoke unto Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs because it is near unto my house and I will give you for it a better vineyard than it. So did did he have a better vineyard? He did, didn't he? Ahab already had one that he said was better. He's wanting this, not even for the vineyard. He wants to plant some herbs in it because it's near his house, so the convenience of it. He said, I will give you one that's better for it, and if it seem good to you, I will give you the worth of it in money. So I'll give you a better vineyard, or I'll give you the money for it. But Naboth was upright. He was just in his dealings. He said to Ahab, the Lord forbids it of me. So why is Naboth refusing the offer of the king? because of the standard that God had set. This was Naboth's inheritance, and it wasn't just Naboth. It was Naboth's children and their children. It was the family inheritance. And he said, The Lord does not allow me to do that. The Lord forbids it me. It is unlawful in the sight of God for me to give my inheritance of my fathers unto you. So he's not saying... I I don't want to sell it to you. Uh, I'm not interested in your offer. He is telling him, it is not right. It is against what God has instructed me for me to sell you what my father's worked, the land my father's worked, and the inheritance that doesn't just belong to me, it belongs to my children and my children's children. But Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the answer that Naboth gave him. He was heavy and displeased. And it says, he laid down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat. Baby, baby. Crawled up in the bed, sulking over something that he felt entitled to because of his position. He ought to give it to me because of who I am. He ought to give me that land because I'm the king. I said I'd give him a better vineyard. I said I'd pay him money for it. And he didn't get his way. And, and, you know, he didn't need this. This wasn't anything that was going to, to mean anything to Ahab's children or his, his grandchildren. It wasn't anything... He, there was no honor for this man who is standing by the instruction of the Lord. All he's thinking about is himself. How this made him feel. The entitlement. Now... Every human being has to recognize that feeling of entitlement. And I'll tell you as a believer, something that I learned years ago from Keith Moore that I believe would help every one of us. I never expect anything from anybody except God. He's the one I put the pressure on. I don't put pressure on people. People don't owe me anything. Nobody owes me anything. My children don't owe me for all the years that I've wiped their noses and, and cleaned up their dirty socks off the floor. They don't owe me any gratitude. Disqualifies or, or makes it, it makes it hard for anybody to do anything good if you feel like you deserve it. If you feel like you're entitled to it. Nobody owes us anything. And the more gracious we are, The more grateful we are, the more open we are to receive from God. God gives grace to the humble. But what does He do to the proud? He resists the proud. He resists the proud. So this is something that is cultivated in our lives, that we recognize whenever that entitlement, that that self is for me, I need to back that. That wasn't birthed from my relationship with God. That wasn't something born out of the fruit of the Spirit that's operating in my my, my, my believing heart. That is something that comes from a mindset of entitlement and nobody owes me anything. Now, because Ahab... uh, he responded in the way that he responded, did Jesus say it was dangerous? Jesus said it was dangerous. He said, that thought of self-pity is a danger to me. That concept of think about yourself is a stumbling block. It is a temptation to sin. Ahab is in full-blown, no holds barred, nothing holding him back, no restraint to his self-pity, he has climbed up in the bed, he has turned away his face, he won't eat. It says in the New English Translation, Ahab went to his palace bitter and angry. He laid down on his bed and pouted and would not eat. The New American Standard says, he came to his house sullen and vexed. And notice how his wife, Jezebel, verse five, his wife came to him and she said to him, Why is your spirit so sad that you eat no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spoke unto Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, I, or if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Is that what Nabal said? Nabal said, I can't give you my vineyard. The Lord forbids me. It goes against everything that God's instructed. But that's not how, how Jezebel heard it. That's not the way. Who is this pointing at? He won't give it to me. He won't give it to me. I asked him for it. I told him I'd give him a better piece of property. Who's, who sounds good in this conversation? <laughs> this sounds like King Ahab. He was, he was being generous. That's what it sounds like. But we know that's not how it it went down. He wasn't being generous. He wasn't thinking about how can I be a blessing to Naboth. He's thinking about he won't give it to me. He won't let me have it. They won't change the date for me. They won't rearrange the schedule for me. They They won't change the location for me. That is dangerous because look what is able to come to pass as a result of this self-pity. Jezebel said to him in verse 7, Don't you govern the kingdom of Israel? Rise up, eat your bread, let your heart be merry. I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast, set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, against him or before him to bear witness against him, saying, You blasphemed God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Danger the attitude that, that was in that room was an atmosphere that birthed someone's murder. Is that what happened to Cain and Abel? Who was Cain thinking about? God won't accept my sacrifice. I brought, I brought my best vegetables to the Lord. I brought my best, my best okra and zucchini to the Lord. And he, he accepted Abel's sacrifice. He didn't accept my sacrifice. He was, he was angry. He was wroth. He was thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking... What God did between him and Abel had nothing to do with Cain. Cain was the one bringing Abel into the fact that his sacrifice wasn't accepted. Instead of looking and saying, what did, Cain, what did Abel do that I could do to, to have this turn out better? He said, I'm just going to kill Abel because his sacrifice was accepted and mine wasn't. What a twisted way of thinking. What a twisted way of thinking. Well, let me just... Is that going to make God accept Cain's sacrifice next time because now Abel's out of the picture? No. Where did, that, where did those thoughts of murder... How did they gain an entrance Now, I know we're talking about some extreme examples here that went so far as murder, but Jesus said, self-pity is dangerous. It's a temptation. It's a stumbling block. So, although it may not end up in a physical murder for somebody, what if your relationship is damaged? What if it causes you to say some things in an argument or make decisions in an argument and a relationship is hurt? That damage came in not because of the love of God shed abroad in the heart, but because of thinking about ourselves. And so we want to honor God by guarding against self-pity. We want to guard against self-pity. Here, back in Matthew, chapter 16. Hallelujah. Jesus responded to the instruction, Be it far from you, Lord, pity yourself. This shall not be unto you. But he turned and said unto Peter, in verse 23, Get thee behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Now we're about to have the antidote for self-pity. The antidote for this dangerous stumbling block of a concept. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. It's not about me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross or whatever he's called to do, whatever his God given destiny assignment is. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me, follow my example, be a disciple of mine. So Jesus gives us the antidote. He said, this is the answer, deny yourself. Hallelujah. Deny yourself. The Weiss translation says, if anyone is desiring to come after me, let him forget self. And lose sight of his own interests. That doesn't mean God doesn't want you to enjoy your life. We're not talking about recreational interests or things that you enjoy. We're talking about having to be right. We're talking about uh, preferring yourself at the hurt of another person. We're talking about that person... Not the faith builders women, but those women who nobody in the family is happy if they're not happy. <laughs> he says, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to lose sight of your own interests and, and begin to put others first. You know, anybody who's served any length of time in any avenue of the church, whether it's greeters, whether it is ushers, whatever it is, There are times you have to not think about yourself. Every parent, every parent. Can I get an amen from my parents? It's a whole new lifestyle when you have children. Gone are the days of sitting down through the whole meal. Right? I mean, the, 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 the responsibility. You, you are not at the liberty to think about yourself because here's a, a, a baby who needs attention. Here's a toddler who needs attention. They don't know better. They, you can't be selfish successfully. You can't parent successfully if you're selfish. You can't serve in the church successfully. There are times that, that it's not convenient to get up and, and to come to church. There are other things going on, but you know, they're depending on me. I can't think about myself. I've got to think about, you know, there are people there who need me. There are people there that, that they need to see. They need that, that responsibility field. There are those, those, um, those, Perceptions and characteristics are part of maturity. Spiritual maturity is marked by the way we walk in love. Not by how powerful we are with gifts of the Spirit. They're not ours, they're His. The gifts of the Spirit are His gifts. So they don't denote spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is marked by our ability to walk in love and to prefer the other person. To to be able to have an interaction that's not pleasant and walk away and not hold a grudge against that person and say, "You know what? Maybe they're just having a bad day. I forgive them right now." <laughs> the more that we recognize that it's not about us, the easier it is not to be offended. Look at Matthew 11, Matthew 11 and verse 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Come to me all that labor and are heavy leaden. I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Well, a yoke is a harness, if you will. It was a, a, um, an instrument used in harvesting that would connect the two oxen or the two mules or the two cows, whatever it was that was pulling the, the wagon or pulling the, um, uh, uh, the plow, those oxen were yoked together. Well, Jesus said, you can take my yoke. Who's going to be the stronger in this team? If I'm, if I'm teamed up with Jesus and he's pulling his weight, Am I, gonna, am, am I going to be on the same level of ability with him to pull? Is, he gonna, is there going to be a lot of pressure on me? Listen, when we move things in my house, I know who does all the heavy lifting. It's, it's my husband's muscles that are bulging. He's carrying the heavy load. He always takes the heavy side and says, no, let me get that side. He always takes the side that's going backwards. Thank you, Jesus. We got to move something. He's going to take the heavy side. He's going to take the heavy load. He's not going to. If he can pick it up and care, I've seen him pick stuff up. I mean, like a, a couch on his back. You know, I'm like, how does he? Because he didn't want me to have to try to lift it. Jesus said, "Take my yoke. You, when you're connected to me, when you're hooked up to me, I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm not going to strain you. I'm not going to put the weight upon you." You, you yoke up with Jesus, you're really getting the free ride where the work part is concerned, right? So he says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn of me. Now, what does he want us to learn? Does he want us to learn about he is the anointed son of God. I am, I am the Messiah. I am the Alpha, the Omega. Is that what he says? He says, this is what I want you to learn. I am meek. And lowly in heart. Most every other translation says, I am humble. I am meek and I am humble. Now, meekness is not weakness, meekness is humility. And humility, the best definition for humility is an entire dependence upon God, entirely dependent upon God. The more you know how much of what goes on in your life is because of God, the more it is, but the more you know it, the more you will be less focused on you and more focused on Him. He says, I want you to learn this about me I am humble, I am meek. Jesus the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God Himself, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, the Alpha and the Omega, He is meek. The one who has all of the qualifications to, to think of highly of Himself, He thinks more highly of us. He puts us first. He put our needs first. And He said, that's what I want you to learn. This is what I want you to learn about me. This is what I want you to know about me. I want you to know I'm humble. I am humble. And he's our example. When we think about the humility of God, we think about the humility of Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, He humbled Himself and became obedient even unto death. He humbled Himself. He obeyed the Father. Hallelujah. Jesus, He says of Himself. Let's look at three examples of what Jesus said about Himself. He wants us to know this about Him. And we want the antidote for self-pity. And the antidote for self-pity is the humility to deny ourselves. John 5, verse 19, this is what Jesus said about himself. John chapter 5 and verse 19. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever things he does, these also does the Son likewise, in the same way. Jesus, Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of himself. I am entirely dependent upon my Father. There's nothing I can do without him. That's the attitude He wants us to have. And when we know that, when we know if, it, if I did it and it was good, it wasn't me. It was Him. It was Him. It, it is Him who lives in me. Greater is He who is in me. If it was good, He gets all the glory for it. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, of my own self, I can do nothing. John 5, same chapter, verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. Is that what he told us in John chapter 14 as well? Without him, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, apart from me, you can do nothing so we are in that same pattern that same category without him we can do nothing so let's depend on him and not depend on ourselves let's depend on him and rely on him and give him all the glory for the things that happens amen john chapter 8 and verse 28 Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. Three times in His own words, He said, I do nothing of myself. As my Father has taught me, I speak these things. Hallelujah. So this is what we are to learn of Him. To deny ourselves. To become students of His humility. To, to master in humility. Can we do that? If we're walking 1 Corinthians 13, we can do it. You don't have to do it in your own power. You can do it in the power of the Word. Put the Word in you and let the Word govern your responses and let the Word of God help you develop this character of humility. Humility. We're going to end in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. And I'm going to read from the Amplified. 1 Peter 5, 5. Hallelujah. These are attitudes that honor God. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers, and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel, clothed, "'Apron yourselves.'" Who does that? We do that ourselves. Clothe, apron yourselves, all of you, with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering, the covering of humility, cannot possibly be stripped from you. "'With freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another.'" For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful, and he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them. Ooh, I do not want to be in that number. Not that number. I do not want to be in that group. I do not want God opposing me. I do not want God frustrating or defeating me. God opposes, frustrates, and defeats the proud. Hallelujah. We want to be in the next category. God gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. Hallelujah. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. Praise God. Just lift your hands right now and say, Father, I desire to become highly developed in, to gain skill in walking in love, in maintaining an attitude that brings honor to you. Teach me, Lord how to be humble as you are humble. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Just lift your hands and just say, thank you, Lord. We worship you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for helping us make adjustments so that our thoughts and the intents of our heart bring honor to your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want to honor you, Lord. We want to honor you in our home, in our marriages, in our relationships with our children. We want to represent humility, love, and light. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.
1: Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you,
0: Lord. When you say thank you, you're recognizing he's the source. You did that for me, Lord. You did that for me. You're the one I look to. You're the one I depend on. Thank
1: you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. One more time we thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank Want to thank
0: you, Lord. Hallelujah. Ten men were healed, cleansed of leprosy. One man came back to say thank you. And Jesus asked, weren't there ten healed? Where are the nine? I guess. They thought it was exciting that they were healed. They were thrilled about it, but they weren't thankful for it. Because we're not thankful till we say thank you. And being thankful will guard you against being selfish. Thankful people are not selfish. Thankful people recognize He did that for me. (laughs) I'm so grateful. Amen. Stand with me to your feet as we prepare to dismiss today.